Creative company is so delicious, and the creative process is one of my favorite subjects. How humans can create something out of nothing is wildly exciting to me. And one of the best ways I love to spend my time is writing and recording my songs. Steven Weber was working at Berkeley when I first met him, and he was always so encouraging to me. He never gave me the thought that because I wanted to write and record my own things, that, that was an impossibility. He always encouraged me to keep going, and he's still in my corner today. He's an Emmy-winning composer, musician, author, speaker, producer, engineer, and he is a leading innovator in music and the performing arts. He's currently the executive director of Berkeley, New York City, where he oversees the iconic Power Station recording studios. Come on! Hey, hey! So, Stephen, hello. How you doing? I'm pretty excellent. How are you? I am doing so great. Oh, my God. Lauren, nice long time no see. Yes. I used yeah. to see you all the time. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I have a ukulele growing out of my head here. Let me move that. <laughs> <laughs> growing out of my head. Oh, that's oh, funny. Oh, man. How you been? I've been pretty excellent. Great. Where are you? I am in my office uh, at Power Station at Berkeley NYC in New York in uh, Hell's Kitchen. There you go. Well, that looks pretty marvelous. I'm definitely going to have to come and visit. Yeah, you got to come down. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And you're in your studio, obviously. Yeah. 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 In the basement. <laughs> remind me. Remind me the console that you have behind you there. Oh, that's an audience. 4816. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I remember when you were getting that. That's cool. It's analog. It's fun. Uh -huh. And it doesn't take up as much space as the big studio master did at the time. But in those days, it was hard to be hybrid. It was very expensive. Now it's not as expensive as you know. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. So, well, so the console is totally analog then? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Which is a lot of back and forth. I mean, I still have the logic setup and digital setup all happening over on this side. Mm -hmm. And then there's a tape machine back there. A one right. right. And so I could be um, either completely analog, hybrid, or completely. So do you, logic. so you have an, uh, an analog multi-track then? Is that a 16 track? Behind yeah, you? that's a one inch. Oh, cool. Oh, fun. MS6. Well, that's all sorts of fun. I know. It's like, well, I, you know, the first album I made it, you remember, yeah. uh, among, among the ruins, the two true record was mm -hmm. done on a half inch eight track and all those yeah. virtual tracks. Man, I used to, I used to do a lot of damage on a, um, <laughs> on a, on a one inch, um, gosh, what, I guess it was a 16 track or was it a 24 track? No, I guess it was a 16 track. Yeah. For years, man, I made so many records on that machine. It was, yeah. you know, it was before. Before DA eighty eights and ADATs yeah. and Pro Tools and all that stuff, you know. Right. Um, and what did you first start multi-tracking on? Because I was going cassette deck to cassette deck. Oh, I well, the very first, the very first was um, a Sony two-track reel-to-reel -reel that had sound on sound, quarter inch. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. And my buddy Brent Davis and I made so many, so many recordings. It, it was the total Les Paul thing where you had to, you know, you had to plan out what was the most important thing and do that last you right. know because you'd get you'd go down a generation every time you you ping pong back and forth but we man we would we would go back and forth like 10 times and it would you know it oh, was yeah. 
it was such a learning experience i have to say it would be it would probably be very distressing to actually hear some of those <laughs> recordings we made at this point i don't think i still have them but uh I, but I man, we learn. Yeah. <laughs> and, you do you learn so much and yeah. um then i went to a quarter inch reel to reel the uh tiac a2340 yeah. seven and a half inch reels and that was a right. blast for the long oh yeah time. yeah yeah I, I went to um cassettes i guess for a while after that um you know after the the quarter inch back and forth thing um yeah, yeah well no i had i had a quarter inch yeah that's right I had a quarter inch four track task m four track you know i had the the two the the, the four track and then the the two track for mixed down and the and a little task m mixer in the middle you know the kind of standard oh, cool. issue uh of uh you know home studio back before there was really home studios you know like the yeah uh, yeah but uh yeah so I, I i did a lot with that before cassette you know and then and then when cassette you know i remember my first fostex cassette you know four track after that and oh great and then started getting back into the you know larger formats you know could you believe how popular it's become for everybody to want to make a record and and, and record at home i mean i was such a weirdo my family thought i was odd they still do yeah. uh, <laughs> i didn't have any friends that were doing this the couple that wanted yeah. to help me didn't even go into music so it's like right. where did all these cool people come from that are interested in this you know that's a good question i hadn't really thought about that um i just know that there are a lot of people who want to do that and of course uh sorry about the yeah uh, somebody somebody's got something to say out there um you know what's through. funny about it too is is that um i don't know if this is funny but it, it's ironic is that now that uh everybody wants to do it now when it's much less lucrative than it used to be <laughs> it's like the value the value of of recorded music you know the return on investment has gone way down and way more people want to do it too you know and it's crazy uh, unfortunate yeah yeah it is it is crazy unfortunate and i think that's cyclical i think that you know both of those things are going to change but um yeah well, i think it comes around so that uh, artists are as appreciated as uh athletes yeah well you know at the very top level i think they are you know i mean Mm -hmm. at the at the international superstar you know you know beyonce billy eilish level i think i think they That's are true. if you compare yeah <laughs> but but the, you know but professional athletics has a much longer tail you know and part of it might be that you know there's teams like you know there's whole you know if you watch ted lasso you know there's a uh there's a whole right. you know there's this whole team of guys who are making ridiculous dough you know because they they've been able to figure out you know that that's what's driving the people but you know it, it's yeah our industry is you know it it's been plagued by bad leadership and um and frankly just corruption you know i mean just just absolute <laughs> right corruption oh, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and it hasn't ever gotten cleaned up and um and also you know i i think our our industry has really lost its um well the people how do i say that accurately um <laughs> the, the the folks who should be minding the store who and many of them are friends of mine um you know I, I know a lot of record company presidents and things like that and they're good people and i will say that they're good people but they don't see themselves as having the responsibility for the ecosystem 
that I believe they should, you know? Mm. Um, and, you know, the, the, the music industry just convinced itself so early on that they had nothing, they, they had no idea what to do with the internet, you know, and, and that still pervades, you know, if you think about it, <laughs> it, well, it does, you know, because they, they're happier to kind of make begrudging, well, not now they're not even begrudging their, their you know, cronyism is back, you know, um, you know, as long as, as Spotify sends them a check for $150 million, you know, every, every quarter, um, they're, they're fine. You know, it's like, oh, okay, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, you know, but I'm thinking, you know, I mean, how many, how many TV subscriptions do you have? How uh, many? Very, very few. Like, like, do you have any, do you have Netflix? I have Netflix. Uh, do, do every once have, in a while, depending upon what's happening, I get Hulu or I'll get Showtime or right. Yeah, I have very few. Okay, do you have Disney? Uh, once in a while, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, but see, here's the thing. I got Disney. <laughs> the, the recording industry, if they had the the confidence or the the recorded music distribution industry, I guess I should say, you know, the the labels, if they had the confidence um, that the that the you know makers of visual content had then universal would have their own streaming services you know their own streaming service and and warner would have their own streaming service and emi would have their own streaming service and they would say you want to listen to the beatles no you can't get it on netflix no you can't get it on title you got to subscribe to this and you know and that's what disney did you know they're just like no we're not going to be on netflix anymore we're not going to be on hulu you got you want disney you, you got to do this you know, and um, and I have I don't even know how many streaming services I subscribe to five, seven, maybe. And I'm a musician and I and I subscribe to one music streaming service and only pay them like fourteen ninety nine a month. You know, I'm paying I'm paying That's 10 times really as much point. for streaming yeah. services, you know, for really visual point. content than I am for music. But I'm probably listening to music way more, you know, so. It and just, have you told them this? I'm sure you've had. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We fight about it all the time. They're, you know, <laughs> they're friends of mine. They're good people. They're biding their time till retirement. They're making plenty of dough. You know, the people, the record companies have been decimated. There's, you know, a third of, you know, a quarter to a third of the people working there that, that were working there, you know, in the 90s. Um, wow. And as long as they're making, you know, their million and a half a year or whatever, you know, they're, they're fine. They're just like, I, you know, they, they feel it's one of those things. I love the expression, uh, you know, they were born on third base and think they hit a triple, you know, they're just, you know, <laughs> they, they just took over this thing and why, you know, why buck the system? Why change it? You know, it would be, it would be a lot of trouble. It would be a lot of trouble to change it. But I, you know, I, it, it, it makes me mad every time they say, Oh, Recorded music is back up to being a $60 billion a year industry. Forget that. It should be a trillion dollar a year industry. You know, if you think about how important it is to yeah. people, you know, yeah. to our souls, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter sold for $44 billion. Come on. You know, you're wow. saying our whole industry is, is worth, you know, just a little more than Twitter was the entire industry, you know, entire. that's, you know, that's about the size of lipstick. You know, not cosmetics, but lipstick, you know, and, and think about what's more important in the culture, lipstick or music, you know. Um, this is what I've always loved about you is that there's this artist side, a passionate 
creator who's also very smart, you know, well, and, and knows how to have fun with the business, you know. Yeah. And so you merge these things, but you haven't forgotten any of those talents. You haven't forgotten any of those strengths and you bring them all to everything that you're doing. Oh, shucks. <laughs> well, you know, man, I mean, I love, what I love about you is that you're, you're, you're constantly creating and you're just, you're getting better all the time. I love the stuff that you do. And every time I get it, you know, I see that you've created something new. I can't wait to hear it. It's just like, oh man, what's Lauren come up with this time, you know? And it's, it's so, it's so important, I think, to, to, to live a creative life. If indeed that's what you're called to do, you know, if you're a creator. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, uh, you were one of the very few people in the early days of Too True that was super encouraging and, and helped me keep going with that encouragement because a lot of people were like, what are you doing? You know, like you're not a professional recording engineer. You're not going to be. Uh... Well, there are some people, even my uncle, one of my uh, uncles had said, well, you got to decide now that you're nine years old and you're singing and playing guitar. Which one are you going to do? Are you going to sing or are you really? going to play? Oh, wow. and, and you were the one that had said that I, I had a nice way of keeping the vision from like a tiny idea to the yeah. finished record. And I never even thought of it as several different hats and, and yeah. positions. And of course, I would love to work with all those different experts, you know, sure. and have them make something even more mm -hmm. of one of my songs. But who has the opportunity to do that on a regular basis? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so it was not only necessity, but it was in a very deep curiosity. Yeah. Fun. That's that's cool, man. I mean, I think I think it's all about following your curiosity. You know, that's that's what's going to. Yeah, that's what's going to create the, you know, I think what you're meant to create. And, you know, some people aren't interested in in the, you know, the technical side. And that's fine, too. You know, that's totally fine. Oh, but, sure. Yeah. But, you know, if you are, it does help you um, manifest your vision in a way that that you can do without compromising, you know, and without. I like uh, that part a lot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, because I always think of it in terms of my brothers. Both my brothers are graphic artists and mm -hmm. they both paint and do all kinds of visual creations. And if I was a painter and every time I wanted to put a color somewhere or a particular image, right. Someone else was drawing it. Yeah. There's such a disconnect in it trying is. to tell them what is in my head versus what I want to see. And yeah. I thought, why should there be that middle person? You know, right. especially right. if you love the gear, with the toys. I mean, come on, you and I are both big old nerds, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, that's, that's part of the fun, you know, is, is getting into Absolutely. the, getting into the specs and plugging everything in and making sure it works and troubleshooting and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's fun, you know, yeah. it's fun. And because you do it all, you understand also the fact that, because sometimes if I watch a certain teaching video, you know, you'll have uh, an expert producer saying you don't need all this mm -hmm. and you don't need that and you yeah, certainly yeah, don't yeah. because most of the time they're just mixing mm -hmm, you're getting mm -hmm. beautiful tracks it's like right. but i'm also writing yeah, i have yeah. to be able to i have to be able to reach everything i have to get yeah. to the guitars yeah. and the piano sure. and the drums sure. and the because sometimes i'm the whole band yeah yeah you know yeah so it's fun it's yeah. fun to set up the mics and, and to oh, make yeah. noise and gear can be inspiration too, you know, to have, you know, that's, that's, that's one thing, you know, like, like maybe you can't afford or, or you, you know, there, it's a lot to hire an engineer to be there all the time, especially when you're writing. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, if you buy like, you know, 
an LA3A or you buy a you know an EQ or a compressor or something like that. All those engineers have done all the work ahead of time and they've gone here. You know, now you can have this and and just you know it's like I was you know like I was here. I mean you know back in the early days, you know in the in the fifties and sixties, if you wanted to have a recording studio the first thing you had to do is hire engineers to build a console for you you know wow. there was no such right. thing as, as you know console manufacturers you know it was like you know wow. they would they would they would build them and that's where that's where all those companies you know came from you know um um you know ua and and um and you know but it was i didn't realize how we can you know now we don't have to huddle with the engineers just to get them to build a console or a compressor or a microphone or something like that um, but you've, you've actually been building professional rooms too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love doing that. That's a lot of fun. You know, I really enjoy that. Wow. Um, we're, I'm getting to do that some right now. We're building a new, uh, studio slash classroom down on the lower level here at power station. And, um, so yeah, so I got to, I get to flex that muscle a little bit again, just, you know, to That's get the so cool. treatment there and we're putting in, um, uh, one of those new, uh, SSL, uh is it odyssey is that what they call it um we um the um maybe it's not the odyssey something something like that anyway it's their it's their new like fifty fifty thousand dollar console that um is all analog which at this point i feel like you know consoles um for my purposes at least i mean i, I you know i know if you're out in the field and you need to do do a lot of recalls and stuff like that's totally different thing but you know we at, at power station here we have you know, we have five five consoles, five consoles of some size. We have the Neve eighty eighty one or eighty eighty eight down in Studio A, which has no microprocessors on it whatsoever. You know, it was built in nineteen eighty one, and it was the last one they made. They actually had to retool up to to make it one more. You know, to make one more. Um, but uh, and then we've got you know like an SSL you know nine K, and we've got a Neve VR, and we've got an SSL G plus, and and then we've got a um, you know we've got a uh, an Avid um, um, in the in the other room the the S S five I guess or S six um, which is of course sure. entirely digital, but. I, you know, right now, it, you know, any console I would buy today, I would buy a 100% analog console, you know, Why? because, you know, the minute you put a microprocessor with software on it into something, you know, you're <laughs> dooming it to obsolescence in, you know, in, in 18 months. And, and to put that into a, something that costs half a million dollars, you know, is just, it's lunacy. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you just are made of dough, you know, but we, all these consoles I named, you know, we're, we're keeping them running. You know, they have been, you know, they've been obsolete, quote unquote, for, for decades, but the clients <laughs> still love them. And, you know, the VR and the 9K, we have, we have entire other consoles in storage, you know, like having a Chevy in your backyard up on blocks, you know, it's like just we got, <laughs> just got we got them for parts, you know, because, you know, yeah. if any of the IC chips go out, you know, you can't buy those things. I mean, you know, you got to pull them off another console. So it's pretty crazy. I feel like that stuff should come back. I mean, I've written to Tascam a few times. There are so many of my students that would love to play with a tape machine. Yeah. It's like you're yeah. missing out, even just the market at Berkeley alone. Mm hmm. You know? Mm hmm. And I have two channels of a, a Neve VR, mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's just fantastic. But uh, you know, I've got the 1073, and then I've got some fake 1073s. I have yeah. the Portico, 
Oh, nice. The NBP and the, the two channel. <laughs> and I have trouble telling the difference between the Portico 2 recording channel, the Neve VR, and the 1073s. I mean, they're very, very similar. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, hmm, okay. So. <laughs> What else could I do with money? You know? well, it's, a, it's a good thing you got all three then. So. <laughs> well, that was the thing. Like you started to sound like you were going to say before. It's like I could pay all these people once or I could buy the gear and have it for right. you know my yep. whole life. You know, sure. so I've always yeah. preferred the gear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting. I I, I do have friends. Well, I've had, you know, a couple saying a couple thoughts on that that are just random thoughts. You know, I, I have a couple friends who have uh, who are wealthy, who have you know who I've designed studios for over the years, and um, and both of them, well, yeah, okay, well, one of them in particular, he would build a studio, he would spend ridiculous amounts of money, you know, digging <laughs> down into the you know into the bedrock and to make the 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 ceiling higher and doing all this stuff and then he would wind up moving like three or four years later you know after spending you know millions of dollars building a studio and, and he did this a couple times you know and then i know other people have done similar things so you know i i do have to say you know when he was just <laughs> you know having me design his third studio i was like you know you could go rent the nicest hotel in london and rent out abbey road for a month with what you're spending on the studio and maybe wow. a more enjoyable experience, you know, I mean, uh, so what did he say? <laughs> he was like, uh, yeah, don't say that. <laughs> don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Wow. What are some of the things that uh, are your favorite things? Like what, what's a, a new thing that you're learning right now or, doing to stay happy and keep renewing yourself because you know okay so you've gone through so many <laughs> cool phases in your whole artistic career you just keep reinventing yourself i am i'm going through a very strange um very strange phase right now actually um so during the pandemic i got to thinking about the fact that you know i love to perform i love to write i love to play i love to play gigs um but I don't really like dragging gear around that much, you know, right. and that was starting to kind of keep me from playing more, you know, because I think like you, I mean, I think you and I are are kind of similar in that, you know, and I know that you you were solving it for a while with uh, with with like virtual uh, guitar amps and stuff like that. You know, I was yeah. I was always the guy in the band that took the longest to set up, you know, I would bring way too many guitars and you know basses and banjos and mandolins and keyboards and turntables and you know and it's just like it just you know i would just you know i would just it would take me hours to set up you know yeah um and i got to thinking what if you know what if i took this time to try and you know what would it look like to to do something different so i got a really great ukulele and Ooh. i decided i was going to write enough songs to put out a ukulele album and be able to play an entire set um <laughs> with just me and the ukulele and that's oh that's great that's it just put those limitations on you know um, george harrison would be very proud of you <laughs> yeah I tell you, yeah it was, he was like a giant oh, ukulele fan oh is that right oh cool oh yeah he was incredible player too wow who 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 is that 
George Harrison. Oh, George. Yeah, yeah. George loved. Yeah. Uke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's what I've been doing. I've been writing a bunch of songs. I've probably written 14, 15 songs um, wow. uh, on the uke. And I've been performing art uh, out. I've been playing playing lots of gigs uh, on ukulele. And uh, and I'm started. I've started the album, which I need. I need to just man. I need. I need a deadline. Um, so maybe <laughs> need a deadline. But uh, it's all the songs that I've written lately on the ukulele. So the working title is Ukulately. Um, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to write a song today. Um, I walked by Lincoln Center a couple nights ago. I was I was up in. Um, uh, a friend, a, a friend who who is a former student of mine, uh, um, was playing up at the. Uh, she she's from Colombia, and she she and her her trio were playing at the uh, at the atrium up in uh, at Lincoln Center. And so I walked up there and um, to see her and, and greet her and everything. And then I was walking back, and and outside at Lincoln Center on the main campus, they have this summer series that's free and open to the public. And they had these disco bands, which was so much fun i mean i i was walking you know i walked in there to see what was going on and um you know this was like soul train from the 70s stars you know they're you know um they're all enormous and um and you know and and had been singing these hits for decades but man the people were just so happy and everybody dancing is all ages and and it was just you know i mean i had a disco sucks t-shirt when i was you know in college you know i was i didn't get it i just did not get disco at the time you know i was more into, <laughs> you know i was just the the typical you know who you might expect me to be i was a zeppelin and you know and you know I, all the all the artists that you would have been into if you were my age at that time and um and, and so so you know but but i've grown to really enjoy disco i mean i've also gotten to know nile rogers um mm. all the i mean power station is where you know most of the disco hits in the u.s at least uh were made you know i mean they did yeah. all the chic records here you know uh, freak right. out and celebrate and and you know and of course david bowie came here to do let's dance you know i mean his his kind of foray into the into the genre and you know it's um so anyway, um, it's fantastic. I'm just thinking it inspired me to go, you know what you need? You should probably write a title song for this album, Ukulele, and it should be it should be an, it should be a disco record, man. It's, oh, that's funny. It should be like in a disco style because, you know, I mean, because I'm writing the whole album, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, feels and time signatures and keys and you know trying to have a whole arc as i'm sure you you do as well um and so i don't yeah, really you don't want them funky, all to sound the same yeah yeah i don't really have a funky disco-y kind of kind of um tune yet so i'm thinking i'm thinking i'll do that you know all right so the that. album isn't solo ukulele it's well it could be i i'm thinking about you know since it's so easy to put stuff out now i'm thinking about doing mm -hmm. one one version that is totally solo uke in voice um and then also do do a version where I can, you know, I add, uh, you know, some other instruments. And um, I actually when I was down in Nashville in March, I um, I added drums to a couple of the uh, of the tracks. I have a, a a really good friend who's a producer and a drummer down there who's, again, a former student of mine, um, uh, Caleb Gilbreth. And um and I was thinking, oh, my, when I'm down here, I should do a session. We should add some drums. So there's one tune that's kind of a, 
it was inspired by uh uh by my partner Annette Philip, who's from India, and she went back to India. And um her mom makes this fried fish, and you know, they live down south in Kerala and all that. So it wound up being a Cajun <laughs> tune. It wound up being kind of a an Indian Cajun tune and i had wow. caleb put drums on that and then there's another one that was kind of um I, I actually wrote it in florida while i was in quarantine i went down to florida um <laughs> during the pandemic or a little after the pandemic to um uh i was invited to go uh, um, visit full sale down there and so i went down there and um I like to say I was greeted at the airport by uh, Ron DeSantis and he uh, handed me a, a handgun and sprayed me with uh, with COVID. So I immediately got COVID as soon as I got down to Florida. And, um, and oh I, had to, I was down there. I had to cancel everything and, you know, and, oh, and terrible. Uh, you know, quarantine. Um, but I wrote the song um, that was <laughs> kind of about coming out of the pandemic. And the inspiration for that one was kind of... Um, you know, down on the corner by uh, Credence, you know, just kind of oh, a okay. kind of a celebration of, of you know, of just life and, you know, music. <laughs> so anyway, I had I had Caleb play on that one, too. So I might release, awesome. a, you know, I might release some of them, you know, is, is kind of just just solo you can and then also, you know, more uh, more fleshed out. So oh, that's cool. We'll see. Super cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always been the case if I've done a show, guitar and vocal, that the song is self-contained and it works. Yeah. And then anything else is pretty much icing, you know? Yeah. Because right. the song is, is solid. If it doesn't work. Yeah. If it doesn't work with just, you know, an instrument and a voice. Yeah, I mean, and and I guess I should make a sweeping statement like that. There are some songs that you know certainly the production and everything have a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. But if you some strip style. it away, even some of those songs, it's fun to strip them totally away. And you know, like I love, I love it when uh, people do you know just solo guitar and voice versions of like Max Martin hits and stuff like that that are you know <laughs> that could be really it's like wait a minute where is it where did I hear the song you know and you think you just are so used to hearing the whole production that it kind of takes you by surprise and Max Martin hits you know they they actually hold up really well it's just you know it's just sure you know, folk songs or whatever that's um, super cool what are you working on right now what do you got going on well I just released an album called Snowcake yeah bunch of new songs that I had uh I mean I'm I like to write on a regular basis anyway and, and keep writing because it's just fun. Yeah. yeah. It's like playing with magic, you know, I mean there's yeah, yeah. nothing there. And then within an hour something's happening and you go, what is this? Yeah, yeah. And if you stick with it, it, it starts getting its own heartbeat. And then all of a sudden it's this thing in the world and you're like, yeah. wow, where did this even come from? Exactly. This is the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah. So uh there's a song uh on the i think it was the previous record or is it on this one uh called um seasonal blues i think it was on the last one. Oh, interesting okay. but that was written during the pandemic because it was like you know you can't go anywhere for the holidays or whatever so it was a right. fun one right oh interesting yeah boy but, i bet you, you were know, I, go ahead go ahead well you know the beatles get back was such an amazing batch of hours mm -hmm. I never wanted to end and keep watching and I just thought what can I do in January and there was this this one January that was coming up right after I had watched that particular yeah show 
And I just thought, you know, they were on the roof and doing that whole album in January. My January is coming. It's one of the longest months. So there's an idea. Why don't I try to see how many songs I can write in one month? Oh, that's cool. Because I've never done that before. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because Stevie Wonder used to write a song a day. And I used to think, right. oh, that's intense. But uh, I ended up with 23 songs or something. Oh, that's that great. In, in, wow, in, in, good for in, you. Uh, that's that's it an was, excellent it was, goal. A, it was a blast. So a lot of them are on that. New uh -huh. on this new album, Snowcake, yeah. and some of them are on the ones before, uh, Just Like Earth. It was another title that I had released, and it was just such a blast to, to yeah. hear them, as you know. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. great, man. That's that's a I've never done that. Tried to write a, a you know a song a day for a month. That's that's a great that's a great challenge, though, isn't it? That's a really well. Good... It was more, instead of a each day, it was how many can I write this? Yeah, month? how many? How could, many? Yeah. So you could, could start pick... a whole bunch of them at once and kind of have them all growing at different, you know. You could, yeah. Water each one, uh, you know. Right. When you when you. Feel but like I liked that I, there was no pressure then, in a sense, you know, because it was like it's a big month, thirty-one days. Yeah, right. If I missed a couple of days. There's still the potential of having more this month than in February. Yeah, the other month. Yeah. How many songs uh, do you do you think you've written over your career? You know that you've brought to the to at least the you know the kind of fleshed out work tape stage or, or demo oh, that are actually released they're not released uh, but no just just um you know just recorded at least you know well i don't have masters hanging around i mean since everything went digital and we could upload stuff yeah. quickly that was a nice inexpensive way to just start getting things out everywhere because uh -huh. i used to have two national distributors and a radio promoter and a yeah, publicist yeah. and all that stuff and you know you don't really need any of that much anymore so the um amount of songs that are out there are quite mm -hmm. a few I, yeah. I think i've probably written over 400 songs uh -huh. in my life uh -huh. and only maybe half of them are out in the world so okay a, so a couple hundred yeah yeah That's there's great. definitely a lot to get to and a lot that are already out there and i'm always writing more so i might start a list and say okay these 10 are going to be on the next one but right. it turns out so often that they get swapped out because something sure else sure yeah something else will come come yeah yeah no yeah. i hear i hear you yeah. Wow, that's great. That's great. Well, well that's you. I mean, you must have a ton of stuff too. Oh, and man, in all different funny. styles because you do classical, yeah. <laughs> turntable, yeah. and yeah, yeah. It's a guitar. It's yeah. I did a now I, ukulele. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Actually, I'm, you know, and all the more reason, you know, I got to get this ukulele. I got to get this ukulele record out because I actually kind of want to get back to other things and i'm kind of making myself <laughs> not do it until i get this uh you know this project done so okay. I, I need a deadline i really need a deadline um <laughs> but uh but i've gotten i've gotten a lot of them recorded and cranked out and you know in the studio here just the just the you can and vocal versions you know um cool. but um but yeah um yeah i'm you know i've been uh it's kind of funny because i think what's what's funny to me is that you know i go play gigs now here in new york um and um with just my uke and of course it's so freeing just to, i mean i literally can do a sound check in like 30 seconds you know or it's like or, showing you up showing up with a toothbrush you know? yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i'm ready to go <laughs> the uke i have has a really great pickup in it and i and i you know three times now i've, I've plugged it in at like the cutting room or at like a you know uh, over in brooklyn a rooftop um place that i played over there 
And the sound man will just say, that's the best sounding you could I've, I've ever heard in my life, you know, and which is not saying much. I realize, you know, it's like it's like saying, man, you look really good for being in the ICU, you know, um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's got a really great pickup. I, I actually the other great thing about playing the ukulele is that they're so damn cheap. You know, I actually once I kind of decided to do this, I thought, OK, I I have a nice uke, but it doesn't have a pickup in it. And so if I'm going to play live, you know, I need to have a a uke with a pickup because you know you just never mm-hmm. know if you're going to be able to you know be heard if it's just an acoustic instrument um so i went online and thought okay i'm gonna i'm gonna you know money's no object man i'm gonna buy the best uke <laughs> with a pickup you know reviews everything online that i could possibly <laughs> find and i wound up spending like 599 dollars you know right. that's like the pinnacle you know it's like hot damn i chose the right instrument man (laughs) yeah you did great (laughs) i know i i had uh sandra cott come over to play violin once a bunch of years ago and she came in carrying a bag of things and she had her violin and i reached for the violin to help her get up the staircase we were going to and she went oh no no, no, yeah, no one yeah, else carries yeah. this yeah yeah it's, it's probably two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. oh my it's god paid off, and oh. my house is not my and god. no one else carries this <laughs> yeah, yeah i was like i'm no, so I mean, glad i play guitar <laughs> no yeah guitar is guitar you know compared to yeah like you know violins and cellos and all that kind of stuff guitars are so cheap i mean if you think about it you know what could you possibly spend on a strat you know i mean you probably <laughs> couldn't spend more than ten thousand dollars on a strat if you wanted to unless it was <laughs> you're paying for the uh you know the 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 dispute the the fact that it was you know an original 58 or something you know a collector's item if it wasn't a collector's item it was a working musician's you know instrument you know you could you know i mean just to get a good student cello as someone whose daughter plays cello, (laughs) like 15 grand or something like that i'm thinking man you know what i mean how many great guitars i can buy for 15 grand (laughs) i know i know and it's funny because when pat Matheny had come over i had to i didn't have a nylon string at the time to do that audition and he said uh I, I rented one. He's like, you got to have a nylon string and a, a steel string. And we just mm-hmm. kept swapping back and forth, playing different songs of his. Oh, cool. He said, to, he said to me, can you tell the difference between a $50 nylon string guitar and a $50,000 nylon string guitar? And I said, no, I can't. He said, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Love I've it. never played a $50,000 nylon string No, I don't think guitar. I have either. And I, I but, have you know, like I, I know yeah. what he means. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it is. It's there's there's diminishing returns. And I well, guess Fender you know, came out with that that paint job of George Harrison's, right? He wanted to they wanted to reproduce the Rocky Strat, the, the colored one that George painted for Magical Mystery Tour. Oh, interesting. And uh, that was probably about 20 years ago when it first came out as like a custom shop special. Here's yeah. the Rocky Strat. And they wanted seven grand. For what was his own self-done paint job. And I thought, he painted it himself with his wife's nail polish and a couple of day glow paints. I can do that, you know. Exactly, yeah. So that's what I did. I, I started. Oh, that's great. I love yeah, that. Painted. Yeah, did you ever see that? Picture no, let me that? see it. I want to see it. I want to see it. <laughs> this was my off-white strap that I got when I was 14 oh, years old. man, I love that. Oh, that's so great. 
graduating from grammar school is like, what do you want? 10 speed bike? All your friends are getting a 10 speed bike. It's like, no, I want right. a Fender Strat. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Fender Strat from 74. And so wow. I, I, I stuck started with his idea but i went a little crazy yeah 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 no, that's great you got to customize it and make it your own man it is it's <laughs> the l pass model there the l pass i love it and you know how the nut width makes such a difference for yeah. guitars players because you know this is only right. so big yeah this width here it's got to fit and by the time you get up the neck it's completely out of hand if you're yeah, yeah, yeah. too wide my limit is usually one and eleven sixteenths. If I really want to be able to play that instrument, oh, interesting, yeah, yeah. And I have a few that are a little bigger, but you know, I don't play them as mm -hmm. much or use them for everything. But this one is one and six sixteenths. Oh, no it's kidding! The tiniest nut on a strat I have ever seen. Wow, how cool! Ever come across? Yeah, so it's pretty cool. And oh, that's it's great. Super light, and I've yeah, always loved it. Yeah, man, I love the. I love the, written the a lot of songs on it. I spent like yeah. 10 years, you know, the 10 years that I was touring all the time and, you know, playing, you know, six to 10 gigs a week, I was, I was still playing a Les Paul that weighed 14 pounds. And oh my God. Uh, I know it was, it was so heavy. I, I finally, you know, I finally started switching off with the Strat and it, I, I remember just, you know, playing my bandmate Strat and just going, Holy cow, this is so light. What am I doing? You know, what the heck am I doing here? You know, so it was yeah, like suffer to be a musician. I know, I know, man. It was I'd be I'd be getting these super thick, you know, straps just to just to spread the, you know, spread the 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 pain across my back a little bit more. But, yeah, there are a couple that that do both and you can kind of distribute the weight. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I still I still have my old Les Paul. It's a 71 Les Paul Deluxe, you know, Sunburst, which is. You could put it on one of those stands that just has it up at the right height. Yeah, you could. Up behind it yeah, you could. That's true. And that's keep true. the other one on that's light. Yeah, yeah. I use it, <laughs> I use it for slide now, mostly. I, I display slide on it. Um, so it's, like, you know, it's, a, it's a color guitar. But I'm thinking about, kind of, thinking, here's, I, I could use some advice, actually. I'm th I want to buy, you know, I've got my, right over here, I've got my um, 63 Strat um, that has been totally, you know, Frankenstein. It's got uh it, it had already been kind of Frankenstein when I bought it. I bought it at the Dallas guitar show probably 30 years ago or something. Um <laughs> and it's got EMG pickups on it. It's got, you know, I mean it's it's not gonna it's not gonna sell as a collector's item or anything like that, but it's it's um it's lovely and it's very light and I love it and I love the neck and um and all that. But I'm thinking I'm thinking I should get a a you know a modern, just fabulous stratocaster you know and it doesn't have to be a fat fender it doesn't have to be an actual strat it could be one of these you know boutique -y ones and I've, I've played some boutique -y ones you know in different different right. places what do you what do you what are your favorite what's your favorite strat these days a modern you know like like currently available in manufacturing you know so you don't have any you know there's no there's no problems or vintage things or, or wiring stuff you got to fix just to something that that you know you just get set up really nicely and and uh and go off to the races with it what would what would you recommend i check in check out i have uh i haven't uh known what they're releasing lately but you know every piece of wood is different even if you order mm -hmm. the same model the neck is different sometimes the body weight is different so i think you'd want to sort of have a checklist of the things that you like mm -hmm. best. If you have a certain nut width, you prefer yeah. a certain weight you're looking for. 
certain kind of neck. And I didn't realize when I was a young kid that the the frets themselves could be different oh, yeah. heights and widths. And I mean, there was a couple of Gibsons I had tried because there's so many uh, guitars that I try through the mail because they're not in the shops when I want to buy them. Right. That when I did a glissando down one string, up one string, it sounded like a piano. Ding, 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 smooth yeah. it out so i was like yeah. okay these frets are not going to work for me <laughs> so i would i would make sure you have all those things yeah, first yeah. and then as george was told by uh rye cooter you put on a, a little bit of a heavier gauge and you put the action up a little higher to get a good sound out of the Dirt. slide but yeah. what kind of material slide are you using i use a glass slide I use a glass medium slide weight most of the time. Yeah, yeah 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 that's my favorite yeah, one uh, I've, I've got a bunch of them i mean i've got a i've got a brass one i've got or at least a couple yeah. I've, you know, I've got more, more slides, and you can shake a stick at. But I, I usually just grab the. Uh, I, I usually grab the, the medium uh, weight. Yeah, the the just the glass slide. You know? I have a ceramic one that sounds fantastic oh, cool. on my resonator. Oh, that's fun. That's, that's the fun. one I, perfect for that. Yeah. Because sometimes there's a weight to it, and as soon as it touches the strings, the tone mm -hmm. is there. Yeah. It's like effortless if you got the right tools, right? Like the what right. What kind of resonator tools. do you have? Do you have? Is it like a dobro where where it's a you know the strings are way off, or do you, is it more yes. of a? Is, yes. Okay. Good. Cool. I mean, it's got the face plate. It's upstairs on another floor. Yeah. Um, but it's got the metal plate and it's a wooden body because yeah. the other one is too heavy and too cold for me. So yeah. there are limitations, and I've never liked any kind of guitar, whether it was a resonator or a regular guitar that was, uh, you know, stockhead. Yeah, heavy or bottom heavy. Yeah, it's like yeah you yeah. don't want to be having to use your energy yeah, yeah. to support the thing. You right. want to be able to just play it. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, I think yeah, I think I'm. But I'm, then the next thing would be what kind of pickups do you actually like? Because Seymour Duncan makes some killer pickups. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. He's fabulous. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, every time I say, "Well, what should I put in this guitar?" <laughs> he yeah, yeah, yeah. Shifts me Duncan. some pickups. And I go. Oh yeah, God, those, those are, are amazing. Yeah, those are those are amazing. I think you know. I think a resonator guitar. I actually don't own a resonator guitar, which is surprising because I love that sound. Actually, T Bone yeah. um, was here last week, or was it earlier this week? No, I guess last Thursday or Friday. Um, oh, sweet. And he he just made a new record. Um, he he wrote the whole thing. He said he wrote it in one month, and he recorded it the next month. And now he's you know he's putting it out. So. Um, he played, played a bunch of tunes for me and, you know, and he's and some of it has, you know, is, is, um, him playing on a resonator guitar, but it's not, you know, not with the strings way up, but just a, a you know, a, a six string, um, you can do finger style on and fret it, you know, normally, but it's such cool. a cool sound. I love that sound so much, man. It's just, it really had the resonator. Uh, yeah, it's got that pop. resonator vibe to it, you know, and, and, and the tone. Because you it. can play slide on a regular acoustic too. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah. But no, he was. You recorded, you recorded so many guitar players. You know, yeah. you know, you know different pickups. You know which ones you like. Oh, yeah. So, what kind do you want in there? Because you can put anything in a Strat now. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just, I'm just thinking. You know, I'm, I'm taking a poll of all my guitar player friends because some of them <laughs> like, you know, there's, there's, um. You know, some of them like certain custom shops, you know, that are making making strats that are, uh, you know, that that they just swear by and others, you know, like the and, and Fender themselves, man, are making so many different oh, models yeah. now. It's pretty amazing. You know, I mean, I just bought a bass. I bought this um, uh, a few years ago, bought this bass right here. That's a uh, 
Um, it's kind of a combination jazz bass and P bass at the same yeah, time. Yeah, mine too. Oh man, those are such great. From the custom stop, right? And again, you know, not that expensive. I guess made in Mexico, but man, it's a great bass. It's like the best bass I've ever had. You know? Oh, that's fantastic. And, and yeah. I, you know, I, I owned a '63 P bass for a while, which is which is awesome. But you know, in terms of just a practical gigging recording bass, you know. Yeah. This one's better, you know. I mean, you can get that pickup sound. You can get the P bass sound. You know, you can get. You can, it's just got so much variety of, of tone. You know. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. Very cool. Let me ask you about production things. I yeah. thought that over the last 10, 20 years that I wasn't listening to enough popular music. I was only getting it through my students, which is a wonderful way to get it because yeah, yeah, they sure. come in so passionate and so excited about yeah. something. I go, what are you listening to? Yeah. And they, you know, all this life comes to them. I listen to what they're saying. Right. And then they play me some examples. And OK, maybe it's not giving me goosebumps but I love their connection to it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It really yeah. opens a door for me. You know? no, no. And yet, if I'm hungry, none in, you know, very few recent things have been feeding me, you know? Mm. So when I listen to things, I'm like disappointed or where's music going or where's something <laughs> new that I can really sink my yeah, teeth yeah. into. Sure, sure. And I've realized that a lot of it has to do with the production techniques. Mm. Like there are some producers that are like wanting to put their mark on everything yeah, yeah. where, it kind of skews what the band was doing, although I don't know originally what the band was doing. Right, right. Some tunes where that producer makes that song something that it wasn't. Like if you yeah. listen to the dry tracks of Instant Karma, uh-huh. you're like, okay, nice song. But then you hear what Phil Spector did to it, and it's a hit record. Yeah, and the same with Bob Clear Mountain with uh, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA. Yeah, you yeah, listen to sure. the dry tracks, and it sounds like Bruce is working too hard, and the band's not supporting him. As soon as Bob gets a hold of it and gives it that killer snare, yeah, yeah, it like comes to life. Yeah, but some cool. of these other tunes aren't doing it. So what happened was some older tunes came on my uh, playlist, and all of a sudden I was like in tears, going, "Wow!" Because it was real instruments, real musicians, real players, real songs, real right. beautiful harmony, fantastic chords. I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you know, oh, right, you know, yeah, like, yeah." I love that stuff. So it's it's hard to get away from it, you know, mm-hmm. and some of the production techniques that are being taught in all these online forums. I'm so thankful for all those forums because yeah. I wanted that kind of teaching my whole life. Oh, I know. You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's such a it's, a, it's some such of them a, don't fit the songs you're working on. And then you realize. Right. Oh, right. Well, that's that's <laughs> always the case. I mean, I was, you know, from teaching production for all these years, you know, it was right. funny whenever we'd have a visiting artist come. um, you know, it, first off, half the time they would say all the same stuff that we're saying every week. And it was so funny to hear the, you know, the students go, oh, man, you know, to, to say the stuff that you've been saying to them all semester. And it was like, that's how it always is. Oh, Bob Clearmountain said this. It's like, yeah, right. OK, yeah, <laughs> he did. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm glad you finally heard it. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, because uh, you know what it is. That's that's the uh, synapse connection being made. Right, right. Exactly. I don't know how many times we have to. Hear the new idea or the new concept or right, right. try the new yeah. riff. So in a way, we've we've got to them make ready that to hear it, you know, deep yeah. enough. And yeah. until that light bulb goes off, they're not even hearing what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, they're myelinating it, you know, when we're when we're saying it, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens to me all the time. 
but you know but yeah it's funny you mentioned born in the usa because that was that was recorded right downstairs and uh, oh yeah and bob and i've been getting pretty close in this last since i took over the the, the studios here and and awesome. uh, he's he's been here a bunch helped us get our atmos system you know kind of specked out and and uh he's been doing something he's such a sweetheart man him and I him know. is the best the best people um but yeah you're right man i mean it's you know bruce is just on 10 you know all the time and his you know <laughs> and that's 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 how he you can't overplay it. a guitar otherwise it sounds terrible like rubber bands you know like these yeah yeah, yeah but you have but to the, bring in that yeah yeah the band has to rise to the level that you know to to, to reach what he's doing that's that's so interesting but anyway well, we, well where were we going with this we were going oh you're, you're talking I was asking about the different production techniques that have changed over the decades and how yeah. much involvement each person's getting and how much credit they're getting like a lot of them are, are, are vying for like we're also the co-songwriter you know and there's like nine well, people getting credits on a song yeah i mean that's that's one of the main thing that's changed is you know and and we we have a um master's program here in songwriting and production that we put up and my my concept from that from the beginning was let's represent how most songs are written today you know which well, is not that somebody goes off by themselves by like, committee like you and i <laughs> yeah but that's there's you know but you know that that almost sounds pejorative when you say it it's it's not it's a you know if if you want to be a songwriter today and you want to be successful you need to know how to collaborate you know, and you're going to be in a room with a beat maker and a producer and a top line writer and the artist, and you need to be able to, to you know, to know how to compromise. You need to be able to know how to how to contribute. You know how to how to yeah. you know, find what's needed. You know, and um, and all that. So we built this. The you know, and and that's it's not like it's you know, 50% of the industry now in terms of popular music yeah. written that way, it's like 99.9%, .9%, you know, it's like, you know, that's um, the problem. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I disagree. I think, I don't think it's a problem. Well, it could be either way, right? Because it could be too many cooks spoil the broth and it could be the greatest yeah. thing you've ever heard, but it depends right. on the team. It, it does it totally depends. Like on it always has. And how, how ready they are. And, uh, and also and how you know, well they complement each other. What's that? How well they complement each other can they yeah. all move into a direction like like a film corporation not a corporation right. but i mean a, a film team when you see all the credits at the end of a film right. it's incredible that they can keep yeah. that vision yeah 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 no, yeah yeah it is Hundreds and a, lot, of a lot of songs you know go through stages too they'll send it you know they'll have an original group of three or four people who get it to a certain place and then they may send it to another team to do some stuff on it. And then they may send that back and, you know, and stuff like that. And, and sometimes it turns out great and sometimes it doesn't, but um, I'm actually, I think music is great. I think popular music is the best it's ever been. Um, I think I, pop music is the greatest genre. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all the styles. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, you know, you and I have both been around long enough to know that even, you know, I remember even in the seventies, everybody said oh man music sucks now yeah <laughs> music sucks it's terrible man all this disco shit it sucks man and it's like you know and all you know all this you know and and the same in the 80s oh man music sucks it used to be good man back when the beatles were out that used to be good but now music sucks <laughs> you know the thing is that whenever you're listening to popular music you know only you know 90 percent of it is not the best 
Right. And the best 10% is the only thing we're going to remember. Right. You know, it's like, it's like you go back to the seventies and you look at all the stuff that was on the charts, you know, like disco duck and, and, you know, and just <laughs> all the, all the crap that was on the charts. Yeah. Most of it did suck, but that was also, <laughs> you know, it, it was also when, you know, Paul McCartney and wings were making great records and, and Zeppelin and, and the stones, James Taylor, and, and, James Taylor, Taylor, and you know, so, yeah, the top, yeah, the top 10% was great. Yes. You know, <laughs> and it's the same now, you know, the top 10% is amazing. You know, I mean, yeah. there's such great music being made right now. Is there a so lot good. of crap? Yeah, absolutely. But there's always a lot, always of crap. Been. you know, there's yeah, just yeah, yeah. always a lot of crap. So great point, you know, I, I, I feel like music is, 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 I think it's actually better in terms of just because there's so much, as you were saying at the beginning, everybody is making music now so there's so many surprise <laughs> people coming out of nowhere you yeah. know like little nas x and people like that i mean probably no way he would have wound up you know being a superstar back in the 80s or the 90s or the early you know before before social media but maybe now yeah talent, you know i mean what a, what an interesting artist you know um and that's so great yeah so i don't well, know there were a lot of people who you know never even performed live that made it even back in the 80s 90s yeah sure there were artists that we heard of in those days they're like i mean there are so many one-hit wonders steely dan didn't make it from touring you know yeah yeah right yeah Yeah. there's so many different ways yeah and you think making the music to me Mm -hmm. is the thing not even making it you know it's like the music is the thing yeah sure the, the, the blessing and the coolest part about it is getting to play with the toys and make the music yeah yeah you know? Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Let it's, me ask you though, like this Atmos system or any surround system, what yeah. are you capturing the final mix on? Because I used to have a, a an Acura with the ELS mm. Elliott Shiner system. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And me and Dave Moulton were trying to figure out how to capture my 5.1 mixes. Right. Put it on something that I could play in my car. There were so few things to play in the car. Yeah, you know that's yeah, it, it, that's true. I mean, to actually be able to put it on to something that you could play back, and you know, at this point, um, you know, I, I think that you know what, what you what what most people mix down to is just you know the requisite number of channels and in, back into Pro Tools. You know, I mean, that's that's the typical thing that people do. And that's they, they turn that in and then that gets mastered and it gets it gets encoded into the algorithm. And of course, you know, there's there's ways that you can listen through the algorithm because that changes it, you know. Um and uh yeah immersive you know I'm I'm I love immersive stuff, man. I I you know we we do like tomorrow I'm producing a um a music video um using the scammer right here um the uh the jaunt one which has got um has got uh 24 8k cameras built in and nice. uh, and we we mix in into you know the immersive formats uh for that and actually the new apple vision pro coming out you know we're excited that that's finally here because we've been you know you know, anticipating that once Apple gets into the the headset game, that that's going to move things forward. Because that's the best way to you know to 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 enjoy that stuff. You can you can you can watch it on your phone, and you can watch it on your computer and scroll around and all that. But it's not the same as actually having you know one of these guys. Um, <laughs> um, 
but uh but this you know this is like the quest three i guess you know um and it's you know we're shooting we're shooting in super high res here and it's very blurry by the time it gets into this just because of the limitations of the of the playback device you know um but uh but anyway so the but yeah it's it's tough you know it's tough to do the uh i think the car check in atmos you know it's um the funny thing i i have i have a lot of mixed feelings about immersive. i mean i love i love immersive and what you know you and i have been around long enough to remember you know all the promise and and excitement around five one that wound up you know not materializing unfortunately for for you know the music industry at least um and what's different this time is that um from the get-go you can you know what is it you know 85 90 percent of people listen to music now on headphones um and you can do immersive in in headphones you know you can obviously apple does the dolby atmos but you know there you can do there's a lot of different immersive formats that'll just go to headphones and then the rest of the people you know i've got a sound bar in my apartment you know that's that's you know a bose yeah, sound bar that does dolby atmos and it does all sorts of crazy stuff with phase and everything you know mm. and stuff around the room so you don't have to set up a 5-1 system or an atmos system to enjoy it as a consumer you know you uh, just have to buy something that it's been encoded like a film has it in it but i yeah. can't still do my own mixes from logic into something that i can play right yeah i think basically that, that's the important part for a creator you know though it's like i can make my surround mixes i can set up five speakers and put things in all kinds of mm -hmm. places and that's so fun but i can't capture it and listen to it again i have to always listen to it in here yeah yeah no i hear you right? that that still hasn't changed no there there is a you can you can encode it there is an encoder and i think i don't actually do this because um i listen I listen in headphones a lot. Here's here's the thing, you know, it, it's because we, I you know, we came up everybody nice saying don't mix in headphones for for Atmos. Again, yeah, almost a hundred percent of the people who are going to listen to it are going to listen in headphones. So yeah. you know, it's the same idea. You know, everybody bought NS10s because everybody had bookshelf speakers. Okay, nobody has bookshelf speakers anymore. Um, <laughs> everybody's listening in headphones. So if you're not mixing in headphones, you know what I usually do when I'm mixing now, if I'm checking mixes, is I have a, a pair of bows and I have a pair of AKGs and I have a pair of Beats and I have yeah. a pair of you know I have my Apple earbuds. So I basically listen in like four or five different pairs of headphones, and that mm -hmm. gives me an idea of how it's going to translate for different people uh, yeah. because most people are now listening on headphones um which is you know and now that i live in new york i don't even have a car so you know i don't i don't do a car check anymore <laughs> oh that's really lucky <laughs> yeah it is it's nice. It's nice. Yeah, yeah yeah so you have to hop on buses and trains and planes to get here <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah absolutely. or rent a car yeah i mean you know yeah. zip car is convenient but um but you know it's easy to well i remember uh cindy brown saying if you're gonna listen to music in a room you have the option to pay attention to it or not but as soon as you put headphones on you're like going into the music oh interesting yeah i like that and from when i was a kid i always loved listening to music in headphones oh, yeah, man. And i'm always checking my mixes and in doing most you know a lot of the mixing on the headphones because I specifically love to put things in specific places and yeah. that whole stereo image 
yeah, I'm, that's part of my painting. Well, you right? should. Yeah, I, I, man, you should totally start mixing in Atmos. You know, and it's and you can do it in Pro Tools. You can just do it as a you know. There's an add-on like a plugin um, that you can do to 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 mix in Atmos. And it's you know what's great about it is it really does just like you know 5.1. It was so much fun to mix. I started teaching mm-hmm. that at Berkeley. I was the first first person to teach start teach teach remixing in five one um in immersive and that was it was always so much fun because all of a sudden there's so much more real estate you yes. know open to you um and in atmos it's the same thing and you even have height now and you know not only not only just around you but you you can put things higher or lower or, or whatever and you know i mean the you know the tough thing about mixing and what you know makes it challenging and fun but but it's also you know it's it's what's hard is that you've got you know you've usually got you know 100 pounds of 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 dirt to fit in a 50 pound bag you know you've got you know so <laughs> so you've got you know you've got to be carving out you know carving out space for the vocal eq yeah. and everything else and trying to get everything out of the way of each other you know once you get into immersive it's like you know, it's like it's like having a a family with five kids, and you've been you know driving around in, in a in a in a in a two door car, and all of a sudden you have a minivan or something like that. It's like, oh man, nice. plenty of room. You know, we got we got room for everything. So that's super cool. Yeah, it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Wow. So, what do you think your uh... your secrets are, or your way of thinking about things to keep yourself inspired passionate happy yeah sustaining you all this time through all these cool things oh, what, are, what are the things that that do that for you um good question good question you know i think being just trying to trying to follow your curiosity like you were talking about before you know i mean yeah. it's it's uh it's i think it's so important I think the learning longer, new things. Yeah, the longer I'm on the planet, the more I, 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 you know, I think, you know, if there's if if there's there's something that's getting my attention and kind of saying, hey, check me out, you know, um, mm. you know, just listening to that, you know, respecting that, honoring that is, I think, and that's you know, probably why it benefits us so much that we have so many. It seems like diverse interests or com compromising interests, and yet they're expansive. Yeah, because. It, if I get tired of uh, trying to figure out what the lyrics should be, I could go play drums. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if I'm tired of drums, I can go back to the mandolin or the ukulele or the bass or right. And and of course, digital recording DAWs. You can be working on several songs at once. It's not yeah. everything's up on the mixer, and you're waiting for that last idea so you can. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's always something. Uh, there's always new software to learn. There's always something deeper to understand with your plugins, a new piece of gear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. just, it's, it's fascinating to be yeah, us. It really. is. It is, man. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot I don't of want to be anybody else, you know, <laughs> it's so much fun, man. It's it, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think you hit on the head, you know, I think, I think trying to find more things to be inspired by and, um, you know, just, just taking in new experiences. Um, living in New York has been a, a huge, huge, you know, just um, inspiration to me the last um, seven years. Um, there's just so much amazing music. Like, like I was talking to, you know, about 
the other day walking by that disco um show you know and just going damn yeah i gotta i gotta write a disco song man um <laughs> that's great um you know there's just so much there's music on every doorstep man there's 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 these guys that hang around the the just in this block here um who uh they're just out on the street every day you know and they're and they have little speakers that's that's the other crazy thing about living in new york now is that you know not only do people you know most people either have headphones or they actually have some sort of speaker on their bike or somewhere that they're carrying around with them you know I've seen and they're, they're sharing they're sharing their music with all of us you know which sometimes is annoying and sometimes it's great. <laughs> but these guys I, i've dubbed them i actually i call them the board of trustees um uh because they're always out there and they're you know they one of them usually has a, a, a speaker that he's playing music through and he's got a mic so he's on there rapping and or singing and then they they there's bongos there's shakers there's you know there's just all sorts of instruments and they're just they're just going at it man and it's so much fun it, it really it's is life yeah it's yeah exactly exactly Very that's cool. super cool yeah. super super yeah, cool it's really fun <laughs> so yeah this has has been amazing i'm i'm just so thrilled that you said yes and oh, thank man. you so much for spending some time with me oh today. dude it's it's so it's it's just really fun to hang with you i mean it's been yeah we we should well, do it always has been in person yeah. so it's been we need we need to do a project together man we should write a song together we should we should uh, i would love to and you yeah. probably have another 16 people you'd put it through to help finish it i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> well see i don't actually write that way but but i okay, know yeah neither do I. <laughs> I know a lot of people who do and uh and it's very interesting. Like you'll, I, you, you probably know Will Wells, right? Um, he was a Berkeley alum from you know 15 years ago. I don't know. He was a student of mine, and he's um, he's very much in that world. You know, he he's he uh, executive produced um, both of Anthony Ramos's uh, you mm. know major label records and and Cynthia Rivo's uh, new record. And you know, and the process is that you know they'll go down to Miami for like two weeks and they'll set up a whole bunch of writing appointments with all these different, you know, mm. uh, writer producers, you know, and, um, you know, and, and it's about, you know, for the executive producers about kind of curating who's in the room, you know, and, um, and, <laughs> you know, finding, of you. Yeah, finding those writer producers, you know, and then, you know, they usually have some sort of a, a posse, you know, or people that they collaborate with and stuff like that. <laughs> it's really fascinating and then you know here like like just the other day um Niall Rogers was back for a week writing and oh gosh who was he writing it wasn't the weekend but it was somebody like that it was so it was the guy that wrote um single ladies or co-wrote single ladies uh for for Beyonce which is a, an amazing tune by the way the, the the chord progression on the bridge is just like how did you come up with that um but uh so they were in there writing for a week and you know and had various collaborators coming in and actually Niall is kind of in a way if you think about it you know he was kind of at the beginning of that whole idea of having you know writing with an artist you know having the artist whether it was Madonna in the early days or or you know or or Cindy Lauper or whatever, you know, of not just having them go off by themselves like James Taylor would do and write a whole bunch of songs and then, you know, bring it in and, and record them, but actually right. writing with them, 
and nice. bringing in, you know, like Bernard and other people to co-write, you know, so a lot of those records that he made here, those really famous, you know, records that he had a, you know, good 10, 15 year run here, just, you know, with Sister Sledge and, and um, you know, and, and LaBelle and all these groups, you know, that was kind of the beginning of, okay, let's get together and kind of produce the track and write the song at the same time with multiple yeah. cooks in the kitchen, you know, kind of, kind of do yeah. it. And it's, and it has, it is, it, it, I, I totally admit it's gotten to a ridiculous place where, you know, <laughs> on, on a Beyonce record, there's like, what, there's 11 writers on this song, you know, but, but a lot of that is just, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're in the room and you're contributing a little bit, you know, they'll go ahead and give you some credit. You know, there's probably most of those records were mostly written by two or three of those people, you know, but, but you know, there, there's a lot the of Beatles used to have a lot of help, you know, and oh, yeah. they're cutting uh, a day in a life and they don't have a word. Now they know how many it takes to fill the Albert Hall and right. texting about Phil, you know, and Paul would say to Mal Evans, you know, what else can we say here? And, and, and Mal would say uh, sky of blue and sea of green or Mal also came up with uh, watching her eyes and hoping I'm always there. Those were Mal Evans lines. Now he really should have gotten some co-credit. You know, you're right, actually. I mean, George Martin probably should have gotten some writing credit or some publishing credit on some of those songs too, you know. For I like, know, like the arranger, that's the whole thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, arrangers make and break the whole thing too. So it's like, definitely they should have gotten some credits and certainly some points. And uh yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess that's, you know, that's kind of the good thing about this new paradigm. And I, and I you know, it's got, it's got its ups and downs, but, um, but the no, fact that perfect, yes, they haven't come up with a perfect system in a while. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, if you think about planet for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, if you, well, first off, you know, it's the the industry just changes all the time. So, it, you know, it does feel it feels like, you know, the way that I grew up with it was the way that it was probably always before that. But of course, it, it wasn't. But, right. you know, but I remember when I was building growing up, it was, you know, it was the writer. It was, you know, I remember being taught, you know, you can copyright the melody and the lyrics. And that's it. You can't copyright a chord progression. You can't right. get you know, all this other stuff. Of course, now all that has been totally challenged, you know, and it, that's no longer true. Um, but if you think about it, that's why, you know, Bono and The Edge are super, super rich. And the other two band members don't get to participate in the songwriting. But, you know, if you think yeah. about it. Maybe they should, you know, because they brought those songs in and they, 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 you know, they contributed their parts and, you know, the, the, the drum parts and the yeah. bass parts are, are, you know, integral to the, to the record and the success of the song. And, and today, you know, if you're in the room and you're coming up with the drums and the bass, you're a producer, you're a co-writer, you know, you are a co-writer. I mean, that's the, and, and I think that's wow. really a good thing. I think that's, that's actually, you know, that's fair, you know? Yeah, that's um, pretty helpful. Yeah. So, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, there's also, you know, a lot to be said for, for people, you know, writing songs on their own by themselves, um, you know, coming up with a singular vision and being able to wear all these different kind of hats as well. You know, that, that can be super fascinating as well to, to see what people come up with, you know, more in their, you know, in their own kind of come out of their head. I, you know, I kind of think of it like writing a novel. Um, mm -hmm. 
writing, you know, writing short stories and novels has always been a, an art form where the technological bar is very low. You know, you don't have to have a bunch of gear to do it. You know, mm. you could, right, right. You, you know, if you had a typewriter, that was fine. And if you had just even a, um, yeah, a, a pen and, a, and paper, you could do it. The nice thing is now I think we're hearing for, from way more people because the tools have gotten so more, much more ubiquitous, you know, mm. it's like in the seventies, if you wanted to make a multi-track record, you actually had to come to someplace like power station because multi-tracks were not ubiquitous. Like, you know, now everybody can do it on their laptop and most everybody has a laptop. So in a way, I think it's cool because we're hearing from a lot more people who might not have been able to, you know, to participate back in the day. It always comes down to the final product. It doesn't matter how many people made it. Do you like it? Does it move yeah. you? Do you feel something from it? It doesn't matter how much equipment you've used. Did yeah. you capture a great performance? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, none of that stuff really matters. In fact, if it includes more people to get paid, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it does. It does. And, and, you know, the artist is sharing in the, well, that's the other interesting thing is that, you know, one of the reasons I think we're in this position is that the artist always wanted to participate in the writing and publishing, which again is fair, you know, I think. Um, so, you know, a lot of times they will, they will participate in those, but you know, not every writer is not every artist, you know, just because you're a great singer and you look great and you dance great doesn't mean you can write, you know? So, but right. if you're there in the room, you can say, yes, this rings true to me. You know, yes, this is something I'd like to say, you know, you can, you know, you, you're working with people who are writing with you and for you, you know, in, in a way you can come up with, with, you know, way more interesting stuff like, like Avril Levine's first record, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. that was, you know, she wrote with that, that, um, that songwriting trio. Um, and, you know, and it, those songs are so well crafted and it, you know, 18, 19 years old or 17 or whatever she was, she never would have come up with songs as well crafted as, as she did. Um, but because she was writing with these, you know, veteran writers that, you know, it was, it was oh. still able to be like skater boy and, you know, stuff that would come out of a teenager's head, but, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it was really well crafted and well, well produced and all that kind of stuff too. Super. Yeah. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> What's a typical day like for you now in New York city? Oh my gosh. I don't know that I have a typical day. Oh, it's, <laughs> You're not uh, bored, put it that way. Yeah, no, I'm not bored. I mean, I'm the, my day gig takes a lot of time, you know. Um, so I'm running the, you know, I'm running the campus down here and running the studios, and uh, mm. I've got, you know, I, I've got a great staff, so that's that's good. So you know, this last week I've been hiring new people, which is always exciting, and that's that's really great, and. Uh, but uh you know we have uh you know it never gets old the studio part um no <laughs> we actually my uh my office was commandeered yesterday we actually rented we had we, we had rented all the rooms and and we rented my office out yesterday so yesterday i was a nomad uh we're doing a uh the last three days we've had um a company here shooting a documentary about lilith fair um, oh. and, uh, so we've had, you know, everybody from the Indigo girls to, uh, Natalie Merchant, uh, to, um, oh, well, let's see. 
you know, just mo- most everybody who was involved with with Little Fair has has been in oh, Studio cool. C and Studio B, and then in my office and and oh, uh, wow. Susan Vega, and you know, just running at everybody in you know in in the hall. It's it's been great, and then the and the the uh, documentary crew that does it too. This is like their third or fourth doc here, and they're just total total sweethearts. They're, they're, I mean, everybody oh, yeah. is they're just such good people. Um, so then we've been doing a lot of that. Uh, you know, we do all the uh, music for a lot of HBO, Netflix, you know, right. Apple TV stuff. We do Only Murders in the Building, Marvelous Miss Maisel, oh, cool. Succession, um, you know, all those things. Um, and then we do all the Broadway cast albums, too. So, yes. you know, just about just about all, you know, on Hades Town. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did Hades Town. Yeah, we did. No, we did. That was that was before we took over the studio. But yeah, we Hades Town was done here. Um, wow. You know all the all the current musicals. Four of the six Grammy nominated cast albums were done here this year. Um, wow. And, uh, and so that's that's you know that's great, including Max Martin. Actually, Max Martin he he has this great musical on Broadway right now called And Juliet. It, oh, it, right. it's surprising how good it is because you know it's a it's a what they call a jukebox music musical and uh we do a ton of those and you know it, teen, there was a tina turner show for you know recently and and uh neil diamond has been in and done one and you know i mean you know and, oh, wow. and king of course had hers and you know but and it's cool but a lot of times you know building a show around a catalog of songs is mm. is a little you know can can be tricky you know it's it, it it's sure. not it's not necessarily a recipe for good storytelling but but sometimes it is and uh i was really impressed with um and juliet we weren't i wasn't expecting to like it as much as i did it was really funny oh, that's great. and you know very very you know just uh inclusive and um you know good message and all that stuff it was it was, it was really fun um so anyway so we do a lot of that and then we have um masters programs uh we have like i said the songwriting and production masters program which is you know was designed mm-hmm. from the ground up to kind of teach both of those disciplines and the production discipline we're teaching is more from the um point of view of of being a songwriter in a you know in and getting a you know being a really good beat maker we have some engineering classes but it's not about you know you're not ready to go out and engineer a broadway cast album after that with you know 30 people in the room and you know and all that but you're really good at capturing you know a singer and you know on up to drums you know we do mic up everybody learns how to mic up drums and how to how to do that and you know and you know but they also learn ableton and you know and how to you know how to how to use um production as a is a is a you know tool for for writing you know and and logic as well um nice. so that and then we have writing design for musical theater which is really fun actually right now right downstairs they're um working on uh we're doing a big showcase tomorrow uh we did one last monday too or no not tomorrow but monday because that's the dark day for broadway so students most of them are in pairs and they're writing these musicals and mm-hmm. we hire SAG after actors, we hire AFM musicians, we hire a director and a music director for each, you know, for each one of these. And they do oh, a 20 sweet. minute version of their musical 
you know, a cut down piece of it. And we do it in the black box theater, which has got this huge LED wall. So the sets can look fabulous and change like that. We have full lighting grid with moving lights and, you know, everything, lasers and smoke machines, all that stuff. Um, <laughs> and a really great uh, D&B immersive, um, you know, sound system too. So, so, and then wow. get a, like a five camera shoot of it as well. So they get a really okay. great, piece that they can go out and, and, and show to people. And then the third masters we have Amazing. is um, uh, live music production and design. So it's, you know, studying, you know, learning all about live sound, uh, screens, projection mapping, you know, uh, uh, lighting systems, um, you know, immersive audio systems, you know, just mm. all, all the stuff that, you know, that's the big growth industry right now in terms of music is, is live, obviously. And that's, um, you know, and, and the technology there has changed so radically in the last 10 years that mm. when I first got here and I was talking to, you know, everybody about, you know, what does the industry need right now? Um, almost everybody from, you know, I, I talked with a bunch of, you know, like the head of production, you know, Broadway production for Disney and and folks at Live Nation and, and just all over the place. And everybody was like, man, technology has changed so much in the live music arena now and right. nobody's been trained at, at that you know so everybody we're just having to kind of hire people and and get them to figure it out because you know? <laughs> the yeah. systems have changed so much um in the last 10 years and uh so we're you know we're we're tackling that taking that as a challenge to try to try to you know oh. get current skill sets up, you know, among our, our students, so they know it's possible. And also just to be able to be comfortable to express themselves artistically, you know, with projection mapping and LED walls and, and, you know, and, and all the, all the, you know, immersive capabilities that, that, that you have now. So that's, that's, that's a lot of fun too. Now. Oh yeah. Well, you can't get bored there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. But anyway, so yeah. So Monday, the uh, writing design for musical theater students, are presenting their work and we've, you know, invited tons of folks from the industry. You know, we do two shows and one at two o'clock and one at seven o'clock and, and they're both sold out. And then we live stream them. And we had another like hundred people on the live streams oh. last, last week. And, and this is without even advertising oh. the live streams. We can't actually advertise the live streams yeah. because it's SAG after actors. So it's not like for public broadcast, but you can share it with industry people and, and, you know, and mom and dad and all that kind of stuff. So. Oh, nice. It's, and there's a podcast or something going on too, right? Well, we, yeah, we, you know, we did a podcast for a while. Now we're doing a, um, we have a TV show, you know, isn't that quaint, you know? Um, uh, we have, yeah, exactly. TV, old technology. Uh, but we're doing a show in conjunction with um, the mayor's office for media and entertainment. Um, their, their media arm is called NYC media. And um and so we're part of it. So, you know, when we first got this whole thing up and running, we put together this public private nonprofit um, partnership uh, and the city themselves um, got involved and they, you know, they, they actually, you know, were great and provided some funding and all that. And one of our deliverables to them is, um, is uh 12 episodes per year of of some sort of quality content you know surrounding music oh. and so what they asked us to do um we'd been doing this um this podcast called um just um i think the power station podcast and 
they said, we'd like you for you to do that. Um, and we'll call it inside power station at Berkeley NYC. So that's, that's what we're doing. So we, we have, yeah. uh, we're, we're into the second season right now. The second episode just went up, um, or was just broadcast. They, they actually show it on NYC life, this channel, channel 22 here in New York. And it, so it goes out to everybody in New York and New Jersey, like 22 million homes. Um, but then they also post it afterwards on online and you know and it's been sure. hoot, man we've we've had all these folks from from you know that have been involved with the studio in various ways um just had rob mathis on uh last night and uh nona hendrix before that we got paul schaefer you know former music director for late night and actually lewis cato who is the current music director for late night with Stephen Colbert took over from oh, cool. John Batiste. And um, yeah, where do, they, where do they broadcast it on, on line? It's uh, online. It's if you just search for inside power station at Berkeley NYC, it pops up. It's it's a, it's on okay. their site. It's on the um, uh, NYC media site is where it is. Um, but I've had, you know, like Bob Claremountain has been on the show and uh uh, I saw pictures. I'm like, where can I see this? And then I thought, yeah, I would see it in New York. It's it's pretty easy just to find. Like I said, if you just if you just um, Google yeah. Light Power Station in Berkeley, NYC, NYC Media, it's, it's on the NYC Media site. We're you know, it's still a little unclear as to whether or not we can start putting it up on on the Power Station at Berkeley, NYC site. Uh, our, yeah. our YouTube channel, which we've got a, we've been having a lot of fun with our YouTube channel and and. Been a lot of stuff up on that, but we haven't actually. We've just been too busy. That's <laughs> the question. Yeah. I think you know. Well, can I can we, send you this for your YouTube channel if you'd like. What's that? I can send you a copy of this for your YouTube. channel. Oh man, yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be great. That'd yeah, be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about this. What do you? How many? Who? Who have you interviewed? And what's the? Uh, yeah. How do you? What just did just you? Just a few friends with? here and there, you know. But yeah. there's some people that I've known forever that have agreed to do it that have surprised me. So we'll see how it, how it happens. I didn't think I was doing a thing. I just, I enjoy creative company and being a singer songwriter, you know, you can be very lonely throughout yeah. the decades, you know, so just having creative conversations, it's like my favorite subject to talk about the creative process with people that are a little bit aware of what they do or how they do it or passionate about what they do. It, it just gets ex me excited again. And, it's fun to try new things. So yeah, just a few months ago, I was saying too, like, it'd be fun to have a new hobby or something. And all of a sudden this happened. Like I was just talking to some friends. Oh, that's so cool. This, I think this is only my fourth one, but yeah. then everybody's starting to talk about it. Like it's a thing. Thanks for having me on. I'm like, that's so cool. on what? <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. That's, that's fun. Yeah. Well, you on my YouTube channel. Yeah, what? man. Yeah, man. <laughs> now we're talking. Um, so what, um, <laughs> what turns you on now? I want to, I want to know what's, 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 you know, other than this, what's the, mm. what's your, what's your other kind of new, new thing that's, that's maybe new in the last year or two that that's been, that's been tripping your trigger and, and making you, you know. Well, having an analog console again has been exciting. And oh, then yeah. it's also been revealing of how fast I got in the box going, why am I doing this? Because my least favorite part is parsing it back out from logic to the console. Uh-huh. So, I'm thinking, all right, maybe I should redo my patch base and make everything normal and put this in the center and get a new desk. And it's like, right. I don't want to do that all the time because this is fast for some things and this is good for some other things. And right. I'm just having fun playing with the gear, you know? Yeah. Writing new songs and playing with new people and 
making new recordings. I'm always just trying to strive to get better as an engineer because yeah. when I was a student at Berkeley, I went from 1978 to 82 and MPE wasn't a major yet. Right, they didn't right. even have a songwriting major. And I think yeah, they had right. like one studio, you know, they didn't have half the gear mm-hmm. that any of us have now. And um, it's just so exciting. Like you said, with the explosion since, I don't know, 2014 or so with all the online places where you can learn. I've learned so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is what are some of the things? Uh, what are some of the online um, assets that you that have really you feel like you got a lot from? The best ones for me were PureMix.net uh-huh. and um, Mix with the Masters. I actually yep. went out to France. Oh right, I remember when you well. did that. Yeah, yeah. You told me you hooked me up with uh, Richard first to, to say. Yeah, you know, that's so cool. What did you think? Did you go? Did you have? He's like, yeah, I went twice. I'm like, okay, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like sounds was, like fun to me, fun, man. You know? Yeah, I'd love to get over there, man. You know, we had we 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 actually um, filmed a bunch of pure mix stuff here, maybe six or nine months ago. Um, hmm. Not that long, maybe three months ago. It all blurs oh, that's together. Great. But they, oh they, yeah, because you did a whole bunch of uh, Beatle things, didn't you? We've done really- Beatle things. We had, uh, you would have loved this, man. We had. Oh, no, they uh, went to Abbey Road for that. What's that? Oh, they, they went, went to Abbey Road, Road yeah. for that. Yeah, yeah. No, they were, they were down. Like pro is fantastic. What's that? You know, Warren Hewitt produced like a pro is fantastic. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, all the stuff on YouTube. And there's some great, great teachers. There are some, there's some really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah there really is. Um, but yeah, you know, um, uh, Giles, um, before we before we closed down for for the pandemic, um, uh, Giles brought the uh, the new uh, mixes of the uh, the White Album, oh, and, the white album. Uh, and we uh, we we set set that up in uh, in studio in in one of the studios to be do a big listening party for for all the label fantastic uh, and and um, you know and uh, press and everything like that. So that was that was a lot of fun, you know, and hear him you know kind of talk through the tracks and what all you know. Um, awesome. Bob Claremont, you'll you'll get a kick out of this actually. Um, Bob has been doing a lot of Atmos mixing, as you know, and um, you know, and doing stuff where where there isn't you know older stuff where the multi tracks are not as you know back back like during the Beatles days where they would fill up you know four tracks on a four track machine and bounce that over to one more track and you know and then fill up the the other three and all that. Um, so. Bob and Betty, as 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 you know, as as people do, they were hanging out with um, uh, oh, what's his name, Jackson, uh, the guy who did the the get back thing, the the um, oh yeah, um, what what's Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson, yeah, yeah, Peter Jackson was over at their house, and um, he was telling them about this technology that they developed for get back where they can mm-hmm. just really isolate every single instrument, even if it wasn't multi-tracked in the first place, you know? And so Bob has gotten, you know, gotten hooked up with that technology. And, oh, wow. um, you know, he's been doing a lot of uh, Atmos mixing of older records that, you know, from that era where there aren't multi-tracks, you know? Yeah, it's recorded in stereo or mono. And- yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, or, or the, the original four tracks aren't still you know available or whatever but he says it's just yeah. astonishing how good it is you know and That's it's like a miracle. yeah it, i it, had like 60 hours of the let it be outtakes and they're unlistenable 
because yeah. the volume is like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly exactly yeah you're like oh, i can't even handle it you know yeah, and then yeah. laying through everything they're talking about and so this was just phenomenal to be oh there. i know right yeah, yeah yeah but you know that's that's one of those that's one of the good applications of ai right you know is like the, yes to actually go through those archives and make it make them valuable you know make them yes. listenable um, did you go to the uh, sergeant pepper demonstration that sir george martin did at the berkeley performance center back you know i think i i was not there i remember that you were there i i uh i don't think i was I, in the third I, row yeah <laughs> i know i know and i remember you. i faxed his management company ahead of time and said do you think he'd like to meet some of the faculty and got to go in the green room and i remember that i remember Jay that miller took a picture of him and me and yeah uh, yeah I wanted to give him a cassette of my song, My Norwegian Friend. I had just written it and started tracking it. And I said, I'm having trouble mixing it. And he said, leave stuff out. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, great you know, he's, he's like, what was he, six foot four or something? Oh, I know, yeah. yeah. And I'm 4'11", right? So I'm standing there and I said, but I have this tape of this song and I would just love anybody from the Beatles circle to listen to it because it's it's my hats off to the Beatles. And, and he's like, he swoops down into my face and he says, I'm retired. And he swoops back out. Maybe you could just listen to it for fun. And he swoops back down in my face again. And he says, fun takes time. <laughs> and Giles goes, I'll listen to it. And Giles puts it in his pocket. Oh, no kidding. And he gets his dad to sign the In My Life CD for me because they said no autographs. And he's like, sign this for Lauren. And he signs it for me. And he says, fax me. And we'll talk about the cassette. And Every time I faxed him, he never got back to me. Yeah. And then several years later, the Love Album comes out. And five of my students come running to me on different days going, oh my God, you influenced the Love Album, you influenced the Love Album. I said, what are you talking about? Because I had just heard it in the headphones, like we say, submerge yourself listening. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, clean versions with all these wonderful interpolations and you know, this from this song, that from that song. I was just in tears because it was so clean and so beautiful and so well done. Absolute wonderfulness, right? And they said, you influenced the Love Album. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, you gave Giles, my Norwegian friend, the end collage groove that you put in there that has all those guitar quotes of all those different Beatle riffs, because you weren't quoting melodies, you were quoting riffs. You interpolated all those parts and gave him the idea to do that. I said, well, people were doing that even in the 60s. You know, the, sure, the sure. what was that called? The, you know, there were there were people putting the wrong uh, beat to this tune, to that tune. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just making mishmashes of stuff, you know, but yeah, it was pretty interesting that uh, they thought cool. that. And and that maybe maybe there was an idea that, that popped into his yeah, head. You never that, know, man, you never know. You never you know, know. I got to, um, a few years before that, when I was first new at Berkeley, you know, I came in in 94, I guess. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was 10 years after me. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe that? Wow. Um, but uh, I came in in 94 into MP&E. And, &E and, uh, and then I I think that very next year, 95, maybe, I went over to, um, they sent me over to, uh, to uh, the UK to help for, for like, I was over there for two or three months, basically. But there was a kind of a sister school. There was a school that um, Warwick Carter, you know, had a connection to. Uh, it was the University of Leeds, um, okay. their music department. They had a they had a new program at uh, Breton Hall, which is this kind of it's almost like a, you know, like a uh, 
uh, what was that? What was that? What was that TV show about the old aristocracy? Um, uh, anyway, it was this, it was this huge old manse, you know, that they built a campus into, and they had a new popular music studies program, and so they and they had a you know they were trying to get a music technology thing off the ground, so they sent me over there to help them and and teach the first classes and get their labs together and all that, and um, but while I was there, uh, the royal opening of Lippa came around, you know, the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts that, you know, is in Paul's old high school. Yes. And so I finagled myself an, an invitation to that. Actually, I covered it for Mix Magazine. Good and, for you. And uh, also um, represented Berkeley. And so I got I got invited to this thing, you know, and got to meet everybody. And Paul was there and George and the Queen and, and all George that. George was there too? Oh, yeah. George was there. In fact, I interviewed George for Mix and my my interview with George wound up okay, I've in look magazine. Yeah. Um, wow. And uh, it was really, Looking really fun. It. So I got to spend about an hour with George, um, you know, interviewing oh my God. On, on Minidisc. I think it was Minidisc at the time. Oh, no, it probably wasn't. It was probably a little teeny cassette, you know, one of those little uh, mini cassettes, you know, yeah. reporters, you know, things. Um, but it was uh, it was so much fun, man, getting to ask oh, him about yeah. all that stuff. And and he had such such wow. funny and wry comments. He was totally not. Oh, he's hilarious. He was so funny. You know, I <laughs> you know, I was asking him about you know, obviously his time with the Beatles. And I remember, and I don't know, he, he may have said this to other people too, but, but it was the first time I'd heard it. Um, but he, he said something like, you know, people always ask me if success changed the Beatles. And, <laughs> and I always tell them they were arrogant sons of bitches. The first time I met them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's what George Martin would agree to, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. The most creative, wonderful, irritating, self-absorbed. <laughs> no, that was, that was who I was interviewing was George Martin. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, oh, oh, I thought you were talking about uh, George Harrison was there. No, no, no. George Martin. Did I say George Harrison? I'm sorry. The other George. Yeah, George Martin was there. Not George Harrison. Oh, yeah. was not there. Yeah. George Harrison. When did George pass? 2001 when, yeah 2001 okay so he was still kicking yeah but i guess paul was the only one who had gone to the school as a as yeah a, i would be a, very surprised that uh yeah no it wasn't george harrison it was george martin yeah, was george, george martin, martin yeah. um have you been to the power station new england i went to a neil dorfsman i have never been there no i've never it's been there just and it's a little bigger <laughs> in, in what way is it bigger the main room i think the dimensions the big dome room is bigger really that's I, what i say yeah, I don't know. I I mean, it's funny. It's just in the middle of nowhere, man. It's you know, it's like that's the problem. So funny, but you know, when they built the Studio A here, they didn't use plans. They actually like laid it out. I mean, I've I've talked to to Tony Bon Jovi about this a bunch, and 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 uh, um, Bob Clear Mountain, who had a lot. Bob was you know says that that what they did is they they um they laid out two by fours. Just on it was it, there's a there, it's a concrete floor and okay. the floor the floor in Studio A is not floating at all it's just it's just hardwood right on top of concrete um, oh, wow. and um, and that's part of the sound actually uh, but good they, thing I didn't put a floating floor in here yeah yeah <laughs> it spent all the money I'm um, on dry lock on top of cement <laughs> oh interesting there you go that's perfect well that's I've got the the first floor the first of it is uh, what is this uh, the wood. 
the, the, the wood on top of the dry lock on top. Yeah, of that. yeah. So anyway, they, you know, they, they got in there, basically Tony and two of his, you know, kind of hippie carpenter friends moved into this building uh, before it was a recording studio. You know, it, it used to be a, the, the power relay station that powered the elevated train that became the High Line um, mm. in, in New York. And then it became a TV studio and they used to record uh, Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall here. Oh and, right! Uh, Come dark, on, yeah, and dark shadows. I used to make dark shadows in this building. Yeah, um, back in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so they came in and um, you know, and they and they laid out two by fours on the ground to kind of figure out where they wanted everything to be—the control room and the booths and everything—and then they started building. And they did a lot of things where they would build and they would try it out and they would go, no, I think we should move this wall back a little bit further. And uh, oh, wow! Um, and so there were no plans, really. There were no definitive plans. There were there were some plans. Um, uh, and I've actually kind of seen the what they had, which kind of bears a resemblance to what they wound up with. But once they had built it, and of course, they just started making hits here just right off the bat. So... Mm-hmm. I th- there was um, uh, some folks from Japan who came over and wanted to buy the plans to so they could build a replica in in Japan. And oh, Tony really? was like, "Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, pay me, pay me fifty grand, and you're gonna, you know, I'll give you the plans." And but he had to hire somebody to come in and measure it up, make plans, <laughs> and make plans, yeah, because it did. They didn't exist. They didn't exist. Yeah. But once he did that, he had the plans, and then he was able to sell them to Sonalist as well in uh you know in uh connecticut and so they put their their replica of studio a and uh and i think there's maybe one more floating around out there somewhere i'm not sure but it's it's kind of funny that they uh, besides new england yeah i think there's i think there's one more somewhere else maybe in your you know who knows if they're even still around who knows if the one in japan is even still up and running um or if it's uh you know. I think people love real recording studios and real gear so much. I don't think it's going to go away forever. You know, I actually, I, it's actually I'd coming be on back. their way back. No, I think I it, think, I, think I think it's coming back big back. time. Um, yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, before, before the end, the era of the independent studio, like power station and hit factory and record plant and all that, you know, all the labels had their own studios. And if you were right. signed to RCA, you, you recorded RCA. And if you were, you know, depending on, EMI, EMI, Columbia, all that, you know, and they had their own studios. Atlantic. Labels are building their own studios again, big time. Every label that I know of uh, is building a studio and two or three of them. One of the reasons I know this is two or three of them reached out to us to see if they could, you know, if they could actually just have a residency, you know, like, like take, you know, studio A or studio C and just kind of, kind of have that as their, their, their stay. Um, and we, you know, we said no, but they were, you know, they were just checking it out. They were saying, we're either going to build studios or we're going to have, you know, get some sort of relationship with, with a real studio. Um, and, right. uh, you know, what can we do? We do actually have a relationship with Spotify. We have Spotify studios here in the building and oh, sweet. They're, they're camping out in studio B, although we still, you know, our deal is that we still get to use the studio too. And occasionally we'll bump them over into a, we had, um, uh, Nile from One Direction did a big thing in Studio A the other day, and and they we had 150 screaming <laughs> girls out in front of the. Uh, <laughs> 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 Interesting. Uh, oh, that's great! Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. 
but uh but yeah so it's it, you know i see that there's more and more studios being built right now than there has been in in decades um and i think you're right i think people want to be you know i mean it's great everybody needs to have their own studio now but it's also great to you know to be in a space that's really custom designed for music mm. and, and uh, you know and has a creative vibe to it and just has everything you might need so you can just get to work and you know and and really and if anything's recorded super well and it's absolutely outstanding it was done by professionals in a professional studio it's like unless you're bob clearmountain working in this room it's only going to sound as good as I can know how to do it, you know. So yeah, but you know, but that's but that's good enough, you know. I mean, that's the thing is that well, yeah, you know. Yeah. But what I mean is, you know, like there are a lot of uh, really cool channels. Like Colt Caparoon does a great recording channel on yeah. uh, on YouTube, and his uh, watchers, I was going to say listeners are, are always saying, can you start off with tracks that sound bad because our tracks sound bad and show us how to fix them. It's like, you, we really have to get back into having more YouTube videos that teach actual recording techniques. Yeah. Like, how to, how to capture the how sound. To play well and get yeah, a sound oh, totally from agree. your fingertips down the gain stage through the amp, through your effects, through to the production, uh, through the totally mic. I mean, there's just so many places where it can go wrong. And yeah, it's not yeah. about, I don't have a plug in to fix it. It's about, right. it wasn't recorded well. Yeah, know? yeah. If you can record it well in the first place, you don't have to fix it. Yeah, no, that's so true. That's yeah. so true. I mean, that's the secret right there. I mean, every, I, I can't tell you so how many that's people... That can't go away. You know, we need yeah. that. That's just incredible. Yeah. yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Having a Having something really well recorded. But yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's always it it always um I'm I'm so always so uh amused when you know I see the photos of like like there's there's photos you know when we do events and stuff people come and uh, there's this one guy who was actually here back in the 70s who was taking some photos very few photos from the time but um but you know you look at the you know Bob their mountain well actually the artists too man david boy they were just kids man they were kids they were the age of our oh. students you know they were yeah. like you know teenagers in their early 20s and you know and you know elliot shiner um you know he's he's a good friend and he he actually was over in um c for you know mixing for like a month he mixes the old school way man he he's you know he's oh, yeah. actually, he actually uses he spreads it out across the whole uh neve and he uses flying faders and all that kind of stuff which is you know he's one Love of the it. only people that still does that but we still keep the, the system running but um you know you know how old he was when he mixed the moon dance record he was a kid right he was 19. oh that's fantastic he was 19 years old when he mixed the album moon dance for man morrison so you know genius. he is a genius but at the same time you know <laughs> i feel like you know that you know you He's mixing your own records you know 10 times what elliot shiner knew when he was 19 years old you do you just have so much more experience yeah absolutely yeah. he was a kid. <laughs> he'd been he'd been in the recording studio for about a year and he got wow. to mix it because he was jewish and they needed to do it over christmas break 
So oh my God. they said, Hey, we got to we gotta mix this album break. over Christmas break. Who's willing to do it? And he's like, I'm Jewish. I don't care. I'll, I'll do it. You know? So, so he basically <laughs> went in and, and I'm mixed, uh, you know, <laughs> he, he mixed a uh, moon dance, you know, you know, in a week or two, right around Christmas time. And then it turned out to be this huge. And of course he did a great job. Elliot's a genius. Don't, no, don't give me wrong. Yeah, yeah. Downplay it. But, you know, at this point, you know, you've got you know your ears are so much more mature and you've got so much more experience than elliot did at 19 you know you know part of it was everything was recorded really well in the first place and it was yeah. great songs and great performances and great arrangements and you know well, he just had so, to mix it he didn't cut the tracks too i think he cut a lot of it i think he was yeah, one of the, he was one of the tracking yeah. engineers as well i don't yeah. think the whole thing i think he was so, at the know, time, he, he was still kind of an assistant but he would get, you know, he would get into the main chair from time to time. Um, and he learned to capture everything the way Phil Ramone taught him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty stunning. So it was, it's, it's pretty cool, man. I mean, he's, you know, Elliot's such a, he's a national treasure, you know. Yes, he is. He's already said yes, he's going to have a chat with me. Oh, that's so cool, man. That's so cool. Uh, you know, I, I, I was just teaching guitar lessons one day and this kid named Matt comes in. and. Yeah. He, Says, well, yeah, my my dad's a, a recording engineer, and I glance over his last name. I go, "Your dad is Elliot Shiner." <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, man, he's such a sweetie, man. He's so That's cool. Great. I love him. He's um, nice. He's been working with his dad on the um, the car sound systems too. Oh, he's, sweet! You know, they've been tuning those uh, ELS systems. You know, yeah, for, they keep getting better for years. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty oh. fun. That's pretty fun. But yeah, Els is, oh man, he's, he's, he's good people. And, and he's still, man, he's making regular. He was in, he was in not long ago down in a doing a, doing a cast album. And, um, you wow. know, he's, uh, he's an inspiration, yeah. man. He is, uh, he's making records. Loving records. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's keep making records. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do, please. Let's keep rocking until we're like 110 and just keep making music. And <laughs> you look exactly the same as you did when I met you, uh, what, 29 <laughs> years ago? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, in some ways, it still seems like just the other day that I got to Berkeley. You know, it really does. Yeah. Um, man, man. How can that be? How can it be that it's actually been that long? That's this crazy. No, I'm I'm almost teaching there 40 years next year. So, wow. Yeah. What do you? How are? How have students changed since you started teaching? Um, <laughs> you know, I used to be able to uh, bring in all kinds of things and all kinds of chords and songs, and people knew what to do and they can play them. But now, because people haven't been using guitars as often as they did like in the seventies and did not using as many chords as they used to. Like many of the students who come in haven't ever experienced anything but power chords or um, wow. basic triads. So it's wow. very different because, you know, I knew 20 places to play each chord when I got there as a student, yeah. all the bands we mentioned from the seventies, I was playing all their songs and they all used those chords. They weren't jazz chords. They were just, yeah beautiful harmony that big box of crayons is just more colors to play with yeah, yeah, yeah and so there were a lot of materials that i had learned when i was nine to 14 with my first teacher lou sabini and i never brought that stuff in because it was too easy 
is like nine-year-old stuff. For right, the right, yeah, yeah. Now that's what we're using, you know? Wow, so it's disappointing in some ways. And then there's always exceptions. So it really just depends on who gets what students. Yeah. It's always been a fantastic place to say that they'll take anybody at any level and, and turn them into a professional musician and teach them the right way. So we love that opportunity, you know? But mm -hmm. all I need is eagerness. I yeah, need yeah, willingness yeah. and eagerness and desire, yeah. you know? And yeah. That equals talent, you know, yeah, because yeah. if you have a hunger, you can grow. But when they're disinterested or detached or right. too stoned or, you know, like everything <laughs> yeah. is too zoned out from the pandemic. I and mean, there's a million reasons why everybody's right. like, and they're using it as excuses and wearing those as badges. Like I have this problem and I have that problem and I have this problem. And it's like, but maybe you have a thought problem. You know, maybe we can change that. Maybe you can actually get back to the fun of actually being you. Yeah, yeah you know, right. Not use any excuses to get in the way of your love and amount of money you're spending to be here. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. rock this. Let's let's really get something together. Yeah, it, so, we're in a yeah we're yeah no I, I you know I find the same thing is true. We're in it. We're in a very interesting phase okay. right now where everybody has. Um, you know, on the upside, what I, what I think is great is we are focusing a lot more on mental health and, um, you know, and a lot, there's a lot more education out there. A lot more people have the, you know, the vocabulary of mental health and, mm. um, um, but I do find that, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, you know, um, students are more easily, um, kind of debilitated, you know, maybe, and, and again, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Maybe they're, you know, maybe it's, maybe we should have been taking a lot more mental health days all along, you know, <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, I think Europe has it right. Right. And isn't it in Italy where they take a two hour break in the late afternoon and everybody naps and eats. And yeah. I mean, yeah, Spain too, man. When I was in Spain, you know, I work two stuff, hours, man. you know, and, and, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then after, you know, and nobody works overtime over there. I mean, it's just like, are you kidding? Um, <laughs> you know, everybody's gone, you know, and, and, uh, um, mm. and then goes out for these long dinners and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, we're, we're going through I like a naps. Oh, I love naps. Oh my God. Are great. And naps, naps I mean, are the best. They've got these guys over here. They've got the, the two napping right now. Oh, that's so great. Oh, sweet. <laughs> you have a, do you have a couch in your studio to where you, where you can take a nap down there? Or do you go upstairs to nap? I just put a futon in the back there. Oh, uh, nice. Sit, you know, but, um, you know, no problem to go upstairs and hit the bed, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good too, man. I used to catch you know, in the living room back when I was doing a lot of uh before I before I started at Berkeley, especially, and I was doing a lot of music for TV and film, um, and had Mid South Recording Studio. I would, I would do, I would get my cue already. I would prep the whole cue. I would figure out the tempo map and all that kind of stuff, and you know, get all my hits lined up, you know, and you know, and it was always very, you know, okay. So the, you know, there's this explosion on on bar three on 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 beat four, and then there's this other thing happening there, and I would get the whole kind of thing in my mind, and then I would take a nap, and I'd, I'd call it nap storming. And so many times I would wake up with the cue in my head, you know, it's just like it would it, it had kind of worked its way out as I was as I was napping. And I've just I've been a huge, huge fan of napping yeah. <laughs> ever since then. Like you know? Paul McCartney talks about that little place. 
between sleeping and being awake, whether you're just falling asleep or just yeah. waking, all these beautiful ideas can come into your head. And I remember I was working on a song called The Sea Road. Um, my friend Kate Chugborn wrote this poem, and I thought I'm going to surprise her and put her poem to music. And the song had all these beautiful length sentences. And I realized for the first time, oh, this is how Joni Mitchell and John Lennon would do it. They don't want to break up the idea. So that's how you end up with an extra beat or an extra measure. Oh, yeah. I was like, how do you how do you write these things in when you're just writing a song and put in oh, cool. on purpose an extra thing? It feels weird. But if you're doing it to support the language and you don't want to break up the idea and I wanted to keep the integrity of her poem, I thought, how am I going to stop this chorus and get back to the verse? And just as I was falling asleep, I heard that it just did a decrescendo and a decelerando, you know, like just gradually slowed down and then had a little pause and with a little breath came back in. And I thought, yeah, just get out of time and come back in. I was like, oh my God, I got to do it right now. So I came right down in the middle of the night. <laughs> that's great. And cut the song because I thought this is flowing now perfectly. Wow, that's great. That's great, man. Yeah, that, that time, yeah, in between sleep and awakeness is a... Is, uh, it's very favorite thing. time. Yeah. Do you wake up? Do you have first and second sleep? Do you wake up in the middle of the night and uh, and and then you know? Oh yeah, yeah, like five six hours somewhere yeah, between yeah. Six hours. Wake up, get back to sleep. And, yeah, and I mean that to... used to you know that used to be a thing. They they um, I mean you've probably heard that you know there was a, there was some stuff on NPR about it years ago, but yeah. um you know apparently back in you know in in more you know medieval times and Renaissance and stuff you know the people who were writing back then would all talk about first and second sleep and people would kind of you co of course everybody was more on the circadian rhythms back then if, once it got dark you know you mm. went to bed shortly thereafter but then almost everybody would wake up well not everybody but a lot of people and i do this you know would wake up at like three in the morning and just mm. be awake and so wow. you know, writers would actually get up and they'd go ahead and write for a while and they they you know they'd talk sometimes about this first and second sleep and, um, and I, you know, and, and it, it does seem it's frustrating for me because, you know, sometimes I just want to work, you know, sleep through the night and sleep for eight hours, but <laughs> often, yeah, after five or six hours, I'll, I'll wake up and mm. I'll be awake, you know, and, um, and then I'll, you know, I might get up for an hour or, or, or something and, you know, and maybe work on something and then I'll go back to bed for another couple hours or something like that. So it's sweet. Yeah. It's interesting. But apparently that's been a thing for a long time, you know? It's nice to do something with that energy if you've got it or that exactly, yeah. Otherwise, I get frustrated and get so mad that I can't fall back to sleep. And that's silly. So, yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> As we right. use it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Hey, well, this has been so awesome. I do have to I do have to start running, man. This, this has been a fun conversation. I'm late. I was supposed to be somewhere at noon. <laughs> yeah, me too. I've got, I got somebody blowing up my phone. Actually, Pat Pattison's in town today, and he, you know, you're going to... Oh, cool. Tell him I said hello. Yeah, I sure will. But, uh, man, it's so good to see you, and uh, thanks for asking. And, and um, yeah, let's, let's, let's write a song together this year. I'd love to do that. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Thank you so much, Stephen. This was so awesome. good to see you, Lauren. So good to see you. And take care of yourself and have a, have a great weekend. They will. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Stephen Weber, musician extraordinaire. You got to check out his music. Visit his webpage. Watch us on YouTube. Watch us on my webpage, laurenpassarelli.com. This is Creative Conversations with Lauren Passarelli. Thank you so much, Stephen. 
Thanks for the encouragement to make a show out of this. <laughs> and enjoy. Go to your studio and make stuff. 